At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. You guys, welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Infertility Emmy Podcast. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. Thank you for listening. Hope that you are well and in good spirits as we enter into this fall season preparing for the holidays, and also guarding your heart. I'm not going to keep you long. You know where to find me on Instagram at Infertility Emmy Podcast. You can tap the link in today's show notes and join the free community Discord chat so you can be connected to others who are still in the throes and woes of infertility. So today, you guys, our guest is Julia Carroll. She is the president and CEO of the Walter Mill Group. She has several different philanthropic engagements and was named the most influential woman in the mid-market by Mergers and Acquisitions magazine for three consecutive years. Julia began her trying to conceive a journey as a single woman, and she has had success now. And she shares with us today about her unconventional path to motherhood and how it inspired her to create the Storked Podcast, S-T-O-R-K, apostrophe D, podcast, which you can find at storkedpodcast.com. We will be back in just a second, you guys, with Julia. All right, you guys, we are back with our girl, Julia. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your time, my dear. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. You are such a pleasure to talk to, and this is going to be a really fun conversation. Yes, I know what I could feel. You know, you guys, I told you in the intro, Julia is an all-around badass, like so many of you guys, if not all of you. And her story is unconventional because, again, she is a single mom by choice. So, Julia, let's start from the beginning, girl. Let's get to know you a little bit better. Let's paint this picture for everybody. When you were going to school, getting these degrees, got all these goals you're trying to accomplish, did motherhood even cross your mind at any point? Oh, we're going all the way back to school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Motherhood crossed my mind. It was... I just had this expectation that I was going to find my person. In fact, when I was an undergrad, I was dating this incredible human, and we were dating for almost nine years. So I thought he was my person. I thought we were going to get married. I thought thought all the things. And in my head, it was just about timing. You know, you find the right time to get married, and then you can find the right time to have kids. And somewhere in there, you have a really cool career if you can. Things just didn't quite work out the way I thought they might. So there was always a plan. It was always like, and it wasn't like like a let's sit down, map out, and draw out a plan. It was always a back of my mind, this is what things are supposed to be kind of plan. 
And then, of course, that relationship didn't work out, which was my decision. And he's still the best human in the whole wide world and happily married with three kids. And I just felt like I needed to grow as a human and I needed to expand my wings and do my thing. And of course, at that time, I was in my early mid-20s, mid-20s, and I thought, well, surely the next one will come around and surely like it's going to happen. Right. And the next one came around and the next one, the next one, the next one. And, you know, here I am. I'm now 40 and a solo parent. And for various reasons, my path just doesn't look the way it sort of was, quote unquote, supposed to. Finding love, it just doesn't it doesn't happen at the same rate you know, as anything else that anyone else goes you are through, right? absolutely right. And it's so funny because I always think about there are these puzzle pieces, right? And we have control over zero of the puzzle pieces. So for me, the missing piece was the right partner at the right time. And for other people, it's something else may not be functioning. It may not be sperm count or it may be something up with your eggs or maybe you've had a disease of some kind like leukemia or some sort of a cancer. And so you know, these are choices that are so far outside of our control. I know you talk about this all the time. This is your bread and butter. This is this is the stuff you live and breathe. So it's sort of funny in some ways to talk about solo parenting in the context of infertility because it's not technically infertility, but it is a life event that's outside of your control that leads you to making different choices. And I'm so glad you brought that up because there's so many women choosing to go that path now. And where do they really have a voice if they don't create it, if they don't create the community like you have done? Where do they go? Who do they talk to? Who can really, truly relate to them? It is something that we're just going to have to get used to seeing and being more empathetic with men and women who choose to go that path when love just doesn't find them in you know the ample amount of time. And I feel like it's more of like a social infertility type thing. I don't know if that's yeah. the correct term. Yeah. Sometimes it's age-related. Yeah. And you're saying I think that's interesting, the social infertility. I, I, this is so ridiculous. But, you know, when you're going through fertility treatments, you need to have some kind of diagnosis. In the U.S. medical system, your insurance needs to have some box it checks. So my official diagnosis was access to sperm. Which is just, you know, because I don't have a partner, therefore there's no, you know, I don't have a male partner. Um, And I just think that's like the funniest diagnosis because you're really just saying there's something socially that's not quite working for you. And of course, if you're a lesbian couple, your access to sperm is also negligible. But isn't that a funny thing to be diagnosed with? Isn't it? I have never heard of it that way. That is so entirely new to me. Wow. It gives you a little bit more context too. Yeah, we just got to get used to seeing it. It's going to be a lot more of it. And again, the social aspects of infertility are just as important because going through the treatment process is no less hard and stressful, as you know, and everything. So it gets to the point, going ahead maybe 10 years, five years, six years, when did you decide that you just wanted to go ahead and take matters into into your hands? Yeah, you know, uh, thank you for bearing with me because I just sort of skipped over all the decision-making part, but I had the next relationship that I was in seriously and thought that it was going to be my person. To be honest, was the furthest thing from my person. And one of the things I talk to a lot of my single girlfriends about is this 
conundrum, would it have been better to marry the wrong person and end up with the family that you want, the kids, and maybe be in an unhappy marriage or maybe be in a divorce, but at least you have your kids? Or is it better to wait and hold out for the right person? And that may mean that you don't ever get kids or that you have to do it the way that I did it or chose to do it. So, you know, to answer your question more directly, it was as that relationship was crumbling and as that relationship was so evidently not going to come to fruition and I was holding on tight. You know, when, when you say oh, this, like this, if this doesn't work out, this is my, this is my chance. Right. And so I was holding on tight, tighter you hold on to a relationship that's not working, the worse it implodes. And I went through this like dark night of the soul. And, and I think a lot of people in the infertility world can relate to that, like, rock bottom moment. For me, it was moving home with my parents. Like the relationship ended. I moved home with my parents. It was supposed to be a week. It ended up being close to a year of, and like rebuilding, healing my heart, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I slowly built these fail safes. Okay, well maybe I will freeze my eggs. That'll be my backup plan in case I don't meet someone. And then I'm going to learn how to date. And so I'm going to Oh, download all the apps and I'm going to, you know, talk to people who are experts at dating. And then I'm going to work on myself because maybe if I'm my most fulfilled and happiest self, maybe then I'll attract the right person. And then I'm going to read all the spiritual books, do all the spiritual healing, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in each step of the way, this little nagging sense of, well, you could do it on your own. What if you just did it on your own? And it just, that voice got a little bit louder and a little bit louder and a little bit louder until there was a point, actually, my dad and I sat down. He said, if you're going to do it, you got to do it soon. You know, I'm looking at your age. I know how old you are. And so we sort of made a plan. I said, okay, I want to do it by this time frame if I do it at all. And you give me a project and I can project the manage the hell out of it. So I, you know, backwards mapped the whole thing and, and really thought about if I, if I'm going to do it by this time frame, I need to have a doctor by this time frame and I need to like make the decision that I'm fully committed by this time frame, et cetera. And then just before doing that, I said, well, what if I try dating one more time? So I made sure that before making the big leap of single parenthood that I I did a couple of the things I've always wanted to do. I did the, like this big trip to Peru that was this like monumental, amazing trip. I That's like your eat, pray, love, my eat, right? Pray, yes. yes, your eat, pray, love, right? <laughs> I have never thought of it that way. Yes. I, and I was, it is eat, pray, love. I was standing on the mountaintops above the cloud cover, like praying my heart out for the ability to have kids. I don't know. Did you ever have a moment like that where you just like, I, I'm going to pray for this. I'm like on my knees almost. Oh yeah. 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 And in tears. Yeah. Doing it while I was in tears in meditation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think many of us who practice spiritualism in however way we do, we have that moment. Just like when you were speaking about the dark night of the soul, which is also a spiritual component of life, whether you believe in it or not, that happens at some point, usually after 30, right? <laughs> it's like everybody is like, oh. oh my gosh, I could go on. I could go on. I'm gonna let you get back to the story though. Yeah. Well, so I, I so value that you mentioned after 30. Yeah. That's a big pivotal moment. So here I am, I'm praying, I'm waiting for my partner. I come home, I start opening the dating apps again. I actually meet somebody. It's like all the things are happening in order to set myself up. There's, there's so many layers to the story. And that was the pivotal moment. It was that 
trip to Peru. It was meeting somebody, but he wasn't ready to have kids. And I said, okay, if it's not this person, it's not the person that was before, and it's not the person that was before, like, it's not, it's not going to be a person other than me. I've got to find it in myself. And I did one last thing, two last things. I did a trip with my family members to Colombia because I have a family member who is adopted from Colombia. And they generously invited me to attend. She was visiting the place she was adopted from as part of a school project. And I was offered, would you like to come with? And I got to sit down with the orphanage and have a conversation about what adoption looked like. And at that point, I was thinking adoption as a solo parent. So I had a big conversation. I mean, we're taking all the steps. I'm talking to fertility doctors. I've had the spiritual awakening. I've started dating somebody and have conversations with him about you're not interested in doing this with me and it's too early in the relationship, so let me just do it on my own. And then I thought about adopting by myself. And then I started the podcast because I said, if I'm going to do this, I need to talk to everyone I can about all the different paths possible to parenthood and explore them. You know, I'd have a conversation about what was your fertility journey like or what's adoption like for you or what's what's marrying a divorced person like and and how do you blend families? And it was the culmination of that, the spiritual, the intellectual curiosity, the one last attempt at dating and the exploration of different paths that led me to say, finally, and with certainty, this is how I'm going to do it. Did you ever, a moment where there was so much judgment, it's like you can't forget that one time this person said something or did something to me that was completely out of effing line. <laughs> okay, let's be for real about it. People do it and they, yeah. they don't hold back when they do it, right? Did you ever have a time like that? I did and I didn't. The first thing I'll say is that I think that the people that hurt us the most are the ones that are closest to us because some stranger says something and you're like, you're an idiot, you're uninformed, don't, don't even, just walk away. But it's the people who almost have our best intentions say things like, I'm just saying this because I love you. And you're like, that actually didn't sound like it came from love. That sounds like it came from something very different. So first thing was that I was very closed about who I communicated to. And the more I gained confidence in my uncertainty in my decision, the more I opened the circle. So I didn't allow a lot of space for judgment. You know, I only shared with the friends that I knew would love and support me no matter what when I was in the early days of thinking about it. And as the years went by and the exploration deepened, I widened the circle a little bit and I'd widen it a little bit. And by the time I told everyone, I was just so convicted and so convinced that my path was the path that I was meant to lead, the walk path down, that you couldn't have said boo to me and it wouldn't have hurt my feelings. But that said, there were a couple times when I opened the circle a little too wide, a little too soon, and mostly the feedback I got was from friends who said, I don't understand why you're doing this. Like, you're going to meet somebody soon. You're going to find your family. You're going to find your person. Like, it's far too early for you to even be thinking about this. Don't worry about it. The second place that I got backlash actually was the medical community. And I don't understand why we don't train our doctors and our nurses with more sensitivity. You know, you're at a point of extreme vulnerability and you're often hopped up on hormones and you're sad and emotional and scared and uncertain and you don't know what's going to happen. And then some naive or misinformed nurse says something to you and it was just awful. So there was a doctor to me that told me, and I quote, don't freeze your eggs. We prefer people get pregnant naturally. This is an OBGYN. What does naturally even mean these days? That was bananas to me. I switched OBGYNs. The second was I was doing an ultrasound actually to have a cyst removed because I needed to do a little surgical procedure before 
things were or sort of in the middle of my my infertility process, my fertility process, and the you know I'm proudly going yeah we're, you know I'm gonna go do this cyst and then I'm gonna go get pregnant with a sperm donor and she looked at me and she said why are you using a sperm donor is your husband sick and that surprised me on two levels one is she made the assumption that I have a husband not a wife or that I was doing it by myself and the second is she made the assumption that there was something wrong with him. Not that infertility is, means that something's wrong with you, but let's say, for instance, that my husband was experiencing infertility or that he, he wasn't well. That seems like a really insensitive moment to just call me out on that, right? So those are two of very, very many examples where the medical community, I think, really failed me as a solo parent. And I could extrapolate how they were also failing gay and lesbian couples and people who are experiencing infertility. Like, couldn't we have just started with, so what do you do for a living? Like, that is in freaking sane. Right. I just can't play like automatic conclusion that you have a husband and that he must be sick and that it would be appropriate to comment on it. If so, is all of those conclusions are inappropriate. I know you're a researcher and I know you probably were on the internet for days and weeks at a time. Yeah trying to figure out every aspect and angle of the procedure, the steps to getting the egg retrieval. You know, I know you did all the things. How did you prepare yourself emotionally to go through it without the help of a partner, an intimate partner, so to speak? I would think that it feels different than having a good girlfriend with you or a guy friend go with you and then being in love and going through it with them. How did you handle that? I have to say it was one of the most empowering things I've ever done in my entire life. You mentioned the word community and that just so happens that there's this movement of women like me who are saying, I'm going to preserve my fertility. They're not necessarily saying I'm going to do it solo, but I'm going to preserve my fertility. So I felt like this was the thing that I could do to take control of my life after this terrible breakup. And so it felt like every injection that I was doing and every ultrasound and every blood draw, it was like, I felt like superwoman. I felt like I was doing this thing to take control of my life and to say, it's great that the world has thrown me this curveball and I'm just going to rock it. I'm going to take the lemonade. I'm going to take the lemons and make lemonade kind of thing. And then this community of single women who are also doing it, was amazing. So you mentioned it out loud, maybe at cocktails, whatever. And you've got five different people saying, I did that. I froze my eggs. And so it's become this whisper network. Who, Which doctor did you go? Which meds were you on? And, and you do it once and then you pass it forward. You pass the information on. Any younger woman who says, I'm thinking about freezing my eggs, I'm like, oh my God, let's celebrate that. That's amazing. Shout it from the rooftops and let's tell you how to do it. So I found that there's this big community of women who are supporting one another in this fertility preservation journey. And that's a different journey than infertility, right? Because it's proactive and in control versus reactive and trying to navigate a difficult situation. It's a very different headspace. The other thing I was thinking about it at the time is that I felt like I'm giving this amazing gift. I'm spending time and money and sacrificing my own body to give a gift to my future partner. Because if I meet that person later in life and we choose to have kids together, clearly I didn't, but if I did, I already have the eggs frozen from my 35-year-old body that would make our fertility journey that much easier. Isn't he a lucky guy that I've already spent the time and money doing that? It's a different headspace for sure than when you're going through fertility treatments out of a feeling of loss or sadness or fear or whatever it may be that brings some people to the journey. 
I love that. And I love that you found a community of people early on. When you have gotten your eggs frozen, you've got them in a bag. You're feeling like you graduated again from college, right? And so how long was it before you decided to move forward? Um, in single momhood? I think it was about four years, maybe closer to five, something like that. I truly expected, and and maybe even still still expect, if I'm going to be honest, that the eggs would be used with a partner. I just said, like, they're there for when I meet my person. I never thought that I wouldn't use them. I still have them frozen. And one of the decisions I had at the time was the statistics are better for embryo freezing than for egg freezing. And so I was asked at 35, would I like to freeze embryos with donor sperm? And that felt too daunting. Why would I, why would I do that? Because then I'm going to have these embryos and then my future partner, what he, what's he going to do with embryos that are not his sperm? And then the option was, well, you could do both. You could do embryos and eggs. So you have both options. And it just wasn't, just wasn't there. Still have the eggs frozen. Um, I still have a ridiculous amount of donor sperm and I'm 40. So I don't know if either of those will be used or if some combination, but it was a four year process of just gradually getting more and more comfortable with, okay, those eggs were nice, but let's do a different option. Let's do a different path. And so when was that moment when you decided that? Yeah, it was, do you know there's, and you have that nagging feeling and like every day the feeling gets bigger and everything you do, the validation, like every little turn you make, every corner you turn, every step you take, it just mm-hmm. sort of like, uh-huh, yep, this this is the thing. So I was, you know, go on dates. It's not the guy. It's not the guy. It's not the guy. He sucks. He's an egomaniac gorgeous, but egomaniac, or he's really smart, but he's not my person or whatever it is. You know, I could, I could tell you the guys I've dated and just everyone, every date you go on, oh, I don't, this is not it. And that voice in the back of my head, like, just do it on your own. You got this, you got this. You know, ultimately you start talking to doctors, you get your levels tested, right? So it's not like you just jump in. You don't just go do it as the confidence builds or the certainty builds to do it. Then you go find a doctor, and I interviewed a whole bunch of doctors, and then I got my levels tested, and then I switched doctors because I hated the one I was with. So it's like these little steps, and then I picked the donor sperm, and then for me, COVID hit. Right when I was like, this is it. I'm ready. I've made the decision. I've got to go. COVID hits, and the fertility clinics shut down. There's literally no clinic that would take me. And at that point, I was so ready. I was so on the train. I actually did an at-home insemination. I had an OBGYN friend come over on that couch right back there and <laughs> do an at-home examination at the donor sperm. And that was a really, really cool experience. It did not work, but it was one of those, like every step I was just thinking like a more certain, more certain, more certain step forward until a medicated IUI that ultimately worked. Now we're not just going to skip over the OBGYN <laughs> friend coming over. We are not going <laughs> to skip over that, Julia. No, we're not she, do that. she would kill we're me if I back. skipped over that. This is crazy, but I love yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like something I would have done. Yeah. That definitely sounds like, girl, come on. You already got the degree. We'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking about you guys' conversation. Was it over wine? How, how did this happen? Oh my gosh. How did this happen? How, well, so for starters, so COVID hits, my OBGYN, we're doing like Zoom calls, knows what my plan is. And she says, well, you could just do it at home. And I was like, I you're a doctor. You're telling me that that's okay. It was lucky because the sperm banks at the time, you had to get all sorts of permissions prior to COVID to do an at-home insemination, you know, all sorts of liability waivers and doctor's notices. And it was like a lot of hurdles 
to jump to do an at-home insemination using donor sperm from a sperm bank. But COVID hit and they have to pivot their business model because not only are we at a loss, but the sperm banks nobody's using or purchasing their sperm. So they so all of a sudden it was really easy. They would just ship you vials right to your house, which was the coolest thing you'll ever see. It was a the sperm came in a box that was about waist high in this like huge box delivered to my doorstep. I live in the city. I've got lots of neighbors. I'm like, will they notice this huge box of sperm? <laughs> I'm sorry. I talk about sperm quite a bit. I know it's really awkward. And then you open it up and there's this like enormous tank, enormous tank. And in that tank is liquid nitrogen and you unscrew it and they have all these instructions about how to use gloves and like don't get too close kind of thing. And you pull out it's like Star Trek from back in the 80s. This long vial, right? Yes. Yeah. Like in Jurassic Park when they were looking at all the vials of, of the, yes. <laughs> the dinosaurs. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So my life is apparently Jurassic Park, which I never thought. <laughs> we um, went from E-Pray Love to Jurassic <laughs> Park. Like, how do we even get here? I'm liking this. It's like a trip through like the 90s classics and the liquid nitrogen is steaming and whatever. And then you have to thaw it out. And that was an awkward process. The whole thing was really amazing. Again, it was really empowering. If you feel like you want to try it, I definitely recommend doing it. Now I understand that statistically using frozen sperm at, at home inseminations is very low likelihood to succeed. It's better to use fresh sperm. So if you're using donor sperm, it's better to have a known donor who's driving it over to you with a fresh sample, which is also interesting. And there's amazing devices out there that can help you with that. There's there's a couple of products. One that's started mm-hmm. by a friend of mine. I know what is it? Mosey Baby that's is the one. one. Yeah. So really, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, that's the first one I thought of when you said that you did it at home. I was like, oh, yeah. Mosey Baby, yeah. one too. Yeah. And I told a friend of mine basically that I was doing this, and she's like, I'm an OBGYN. I'm just going to come over and help you, um, which was. Theoretically very awkward, and then in reality was just great. It was nice to not have to try and figure it out. We're reading the directions together. We're laughing together. We're like, what is this? And yeah, we got real close, like real close. <laughs> yes, uh, closer than most closer friends. Closer than most yes. friends, yeah. But it's a beautiful thing, though, because that's something that you as friends, it's going to keep you friends yeah. for a yeah. lifetime. For sure. Now, that is a friend, you guys. One who will help you with your lady parts. Okay? Yeah, that is a friend. It's a good. That is a friend. If you if you're asking for recommendations, I recommend having doctor friends who can help things if you can. Right, right, right. Friends in very yeah. high places. <laughs> oh wow, wow! And so now, how old is? your baby my baby boy. boy is 10 months old and sometimes I wonder you know is he going to hear a podcast like this and think my mom was absolutely crazy and of course he will but I also hope that he hears just how desperately loved and wanted he was before he was even conceived you know that I was willing to deal with the Jurassic Park and liquid nitrogen and the doctors who said nasty comments and some friends who even said this is too soon what are you doing in an effort to bring him into my life. What a blessing. blessing. Wow. I'm so glad everything did work out for you and you succeeded in having your miracle baby. Well, I will say I want to be cautious about the word succeeded because you and I talk about fertility and family building as, you know, our passions talking about this stuff. Um, And I think there's this misconception that success equals a baby. 
or success equals the family, right? And you can say success equals a partner in a marriage. And by that account, I've totally failed. I like to think success is jumping in with both feet and trying the at-home insemination. That was success. And choosing to do the egg freezing, that was success. Or choosing not to enter a marriage that I knew was going to fail, that's success. But it's hard to celebrate those things. So I just want to be thoughtful about the way I use success in my own life. Yes, having my son is the most amazing, incredible, life-altering thing I've ever done. But I also feel like the, the other moments that we've touched upon today are successful. Absolutely. Thank you for that reminder and presenting that perspective. I think that's a lovely way of looking at it as opposed to what we naturally go towards in these kinds of situations, you know, and yeah, just thank you for that. And then, so you started your podcast. Podcast was started two years ago and the the eggs freezing was like now six years ago, six or seven years ago. Okay. I was in the middle of it. And when I was doing the podcast, it was sometimes it was really awkward because I'd be interviewing somebody and they'd be talking about like, I just had this amazing child and I'm so happy. And I have just discovered that my last IUI failed or one distinct memory where I was having a conversation where a person who was a surrogate and she was talking about the joy of pregnancy and I had just found out I might be pregnant. And so it was like quietly in the background, I was going through the ups and downs of my own journey but I wasn't saying it because I couldn't, I couldn't share it very well with the guests that I was talking to. And so it was this weird parts of the podcast. I'm like dramatically sad that things are not working out. Parts of the podcast, I'm dramatically happy that maybe they're going to work. You know, it was kind of like they're all happening simultaneously, dual track. And yeah, the podcast was the thing that is being my through line. It's been keeping me sane through all of this. I'm sure you can relate. Yes. And a lot of, it's so funny because while you were speaking, I was thinking about all the people that start their podcast to document and you did the opposite. You found your healing through listening to others and sharing your experiences. Mm. I like it. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I love that story to how you created the show. And so how do you feel now podcasting and speaking to everyone about family building now that you have gone through some of the same things you've been giving others the mic. Yeah, I started the podcast really thinking it was like a healing for me. You know, like I got to hear these stories and if I'm going to listen to them, I, I might as well record them in case somebody else wants to hear. But I didn't think anyone would listen and I didn't think I would fall in love with it as much as I do. And it's become, I'm like an evangelist now. It's become like my calling, my passion is to say, look at these amazing families. Look at your family. Look at your journey. Look at your story. It is so beautiful. So I didn't I didn't think I was going to love talking to strangers about the depths of their lives as much as I do. Especially about when we're talking about some of the most intimate parts of their story and their, <laughs> exactly. their genitalia, too, you know? Oh. And... <laughs> That's and I never thought I'd talk about yeah. genitalia this so, much or sperm so or whatever. Like, you just don't think you're going to have these conversations yes, that yes. much. Yeah. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You, can, you can hardly get people to accept the fact oh, yeah. that women bleed once a month and do it openly without having to hide. Like, I always just, I still have trauma from having to hide sanitary napkins or tampons every month. Like, it was a freaking disease. Like, it was some kind of airborne disease that when I took it out and you got too close, hey, it's going to happen. So, yeah. So, that's why I love it, too, so much. I agree. 
Tell us where we can find you I love this question. I love asking that question. I very rarely get asked it myself. So if you want to listen to the podcast, it's called Storked, which is S-T-O-R-K apostrophe D. And it's storkedpodcast.com or at storkedpodcast on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. Definitely check us out on Apple or Spotify or anywhere that you normally listen to podcasts. I have a newsletter. I would love if you sign up for the newsletter too. And I'll give you the floor back if there's a last word you'd like to give everyone who may be listening today, whether they are with or without a partner. Any path you choose is, it's got to be the right path for you. It doesn't feel like it was absolutely the right path for me. There are many people I know who have considered giving up marriage and have decided it's not the right path for them. And I think it's all good, right? It's Adoption can be amazing. Fostering can be amazing. But choosing that path can be pretty amazing. And so sometimes you hear somebody's story and you say, okay, well, that's got to be the only way. The only way forward is marriage and therapy. The only way forward is getting counseling. The only way forward is X, Y, Z. I hope that somebody listens to my story and if it's the right path for them, they agree in the confidence to do it. And if it's not the right path, they don't feel like they have to do it. And I'm sure they appreciate you for Reminding them of those things, I think that it's hard to see it when we're emotionally driven by our situations for that. Well, Julia, girl, it has been a pleasure. And thank you for sharing with us your story to momhood and giving us such great advice oh, and wisdom along so the way. It is so fun to talk to you. I could literally talk to you all day. I appreciate the community and the audience that you've built. I appreciate the space to be vulnerable. It's not everyone who can create such a warm environment to share the most, as you said, intimate parts of our lives. And you guys know where to find me, Infertility and Me Podcast. Peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.